Hey, Crime Salad listeners, welcome back to another episode of Crime Salad. We're your hosts, Ashley. And Ricky. And we're here with another episode. Don't go off script like that. I get confused. (laughs) It's just one word, Ricky. I was was waiting for it. Uh, Before we jump into this week's episode, we do have five lovely patrons that we love to shout out. Ricky? Aaliyah, Hannah, Sarah. Kaylee with two E's and Kaylee with a Y. All right. Uh, before we waste any more time, we are jumping into this week's episode. Let's go. Please be warned that this case discusses content many listeners may find disturbing or triggering. In this case, we will discuss the abuse that led to the death of a four-month-old baby named Dylan Groves. The case this week is taking us to an extremely small village called Otway, Ohio, with a low population of 87, which was recorded in the year 2010, located in Scioto County. Within the 134 acres of this village, a beautiful baby boy was born just a month early on January 10th, 2019, and given the name Dylan Groves. He weighed 5 pounds, 10 ounces, and was 19 inches long. However, soon after his birth, while at the hospital, his mother, who didn't ask anything about him or have any interest in holding him, was high on drugs, and the baby was having trouble breathing. Baby Dylan was diagnosed with neonatal abstinence syndrome. The small baby who was new to the world was experiencing tremors and sweats and needed comfort. Sadly, neither of his parents were interested in doing just that from the moment he was born. Neonatal abstinence syndrome, or NAS, is most often caused when a woman takes opioids during pregnancy and the baby experiences withdrawal due to exposure of drugs in the womb before birth. When a nurse asked Jessica why she didn't go to any prenatal visits, she said that she had used heroin and that she was always too high to go. At the hospital, a nurse notices the father also appearing to be high on drugs, and he seemed withdrawn and quiet and was talking slowly and his eyes appeared to be glassy as he told the nurse that he had just asked the doctor if meth could be found in heroin and said that Jessica used heroin and after her pregnancy, she continued to use enough to keep the withdrawal symptoms from happening. Jessica Groves, who was 39, and Daniel Groves, who was 41 at the time, were the biological parents to baby Dylan. Suspecting drugs in the baby's system, the nurses decided to test his umbilical cord. A baby's umbilical cord can be tested to detect drugs even going as far as 20 weeks prior to birth, according to USDTL.com. And what they discovered was disturbing. The lab report detailed that Dylan contained methamphetamine, amphetamine, fentanyl, and opiates, as well as morphine. This poor baby. With these drugs found in the baby's umbilical cord and the mom being tested positive for drugs as well, baby Dylan was discharged on day five from the hospital to the Scioto County Children's Services, where they would find a foster parent. On January 15th, foster mother Andrea Bowling received a call from Children's Services. She was a teacher teaching her class, and it was in the middle of the week. 
They asked if she was available to take in a newborn as soon as possible. She said yes and even took work off as a teacher to give Dylan the care that he needed. As she quickly arrived at the hospital after school let out, she was trained on how to care for him, being that he was still withdrawing. Once he completed a few tests, he was discharged from the hospital. Andrea scrambled around getting things off her friends and family, a crib, blankets, clothes, and diapers. She needed everything, but was willing to give everything to him, everything that he needed. She was on a mission to give this baby a better life, even though she knew that the ultimate goal for foster care is to reunite the child with the family eventually. And you would think, with the number of drugs that was found in baby Dylan's system, you would expect him to be with Andrea, his foster mom, for a while, right? Well, that's what Andrea was expecting too. Unfortunately, her time with him would be short-lived at only 12 days. Yes, 12 days. Mind you, after being discharged from the hospital, after baby Dylan was born, showing signs of withdrawal. And don't worry, we will circle back to the reasoning as to why it was only 12 days in just a second. But just in that short amount of time, baby Dylan was in the loving, caring arms of Andrea Bulling. She grew attached to him and felt a strong love for this little guy because she knew that he needed it more than anything, a love more than his own mother could give. Andrea clearly had a strong, amazing heart to take in Dylan because Andrea will have to face one of the hardest things a foster parent has to do. It was on Monday, January 28, 2019, that baby Dylan was to be reunited with his biological father. I know what you're thinking, how? How in the world does this happen? 12 days in foster care is not long enough considering the circumstances. What made them think in 12 days things would be different? That the parents would be just magically clean and the baby would be in a safe environment? I mean, the parents were witnessed by nurses at the hospital appearing to be on drugs and completely not interested in wanting anything to do with the baby. It's mind-blowing. Doesn't this raise any red flags? Well, to some, but to Children's Services, they didn't see the father as a concern. The reasoning was that he didn't have a criminal history, and he ended up passing a urine test with negative results twice on two different visits. Now, if you're getting any suspicions here, it's because you already know. Yep, Daniel used someone else's urine, specifically his 15-year-old son's urine to pass with flying colors. Go figure. With the baby now in the care of the father, monthly home visits from Children's Services were mandatory. At first, there were successful home visits, but these were in between a lot of missed calls and unanswered voicemails from Children's Services. During the first two visits, it was said by a caseworker that baby Dylan appeared to be well-dressed, healthy, and gained some weight from his last doctor's appointment. And he didn't have any injuries present. The father mentioned that Jessica would come to the house, but was only at his house during the day. Police visited the home on May 20th, 2019, as the driveway was cabled off and motion detectors were installed. No one appeared at home. 
After a chat with the neighbors asking questions about the couple, off in the distance, police spotted a couple on a four-wheeler. As he attempted to stop them, the couple took off. So with suspicion rising and baby Dylan in possible danger, police were able to obtain a search warrant. It wasn't until June 10th, 2019, that the Groves residents were surrounded by the Scioto County Sheriff's Department. Alongside the Sheriff's Department were the Southern Ohio Drug Task Force and the Ohio State Highway Patrol, demanding for them to surrender. This all takes place on Mount Hope Road, an area surrounded by a thicket of trees. Jessica opens the door within 30 minutes of the place being surrounded, and it was noted that she was belligerent. Though law enforcement demanded that the parents show their son was healthy and alive, they refused. Hours later, police sent in a robot to help locate Daniel Groves, who was refusing to come out. They were then brought in for questioning. Jessica claims that Children's Services has baby Dylan. And as for the father, he was rolling on the floor in the interrogation room, dope sick. Daniel also claims that Children's Services took Dylan. But eventually, this obvious lie doesn't last. Eventually, he tells the officers that Dylan is dead. At first, Daniel led authorities to various locations, which were false leads, for the location of baby Dylan's body. Finally, everyone arrived at a well that was 40 feet deep in the middle of a field. What ensues next is a three-hour process involving the fire department and this well. They had managed to drain some of the water, but they still had about 10 feet. It seemed impossible to reach the bottom of the well. For three hours, the fire department used a hook-like object to fish around the well. And finally, they snagged onto a container-like object. Finally, we have all the details we need about this absolutely horrific case. It turns out Jessica and Daniel had placed Dylan inside a heavy round metal ring whose function was clearly to act as a weight to sink him down to the bottom of the well. There were roughly 18 different rocks that had been dropped into the well that came to rest on the makeshift milk crate coffin. And lastly, we find out yet again, Dylan's body tested positive for drugs, likely because he never recovered from the drugs transferred to him through his mother's body during pregnancy. When Dr. Susan Brown received Dylan's body for inspection, it arrived still encased in the crate and weighted down with rocks. Presumably, the authorities needed the body to remain intact, though it must have been disturbing to receive those milk crates given the state they were in. To add to the horrifying chain of events, Dr. Brown adds that some of Dylan's injuries were in the process of healing, whereas others weren't. She claims that this likely means that at least three different incidents of harm had caused them. In other words, Dylan had been abused on numerous occasions before finally being hurt enough that it took his life. After an inspection of Dylan's body, it was reported he had skull fractures, broken ribs, a broken arm, and a broken shin bone. 
Dylan also had fractures to his skull, fractures to his left leg, and fractures to his left arm. Daniel claims he saw his wife hit Dylan in the head multiple times. He was accused of helping Jessica hide the evidence of the crime. Even though he was present and convicted of other crimes at the trial, Daniel was not convicted for murder. Apparently, it was Daniel who found Dylan dead, and this was the reasoning behind him aiding and hiding the body. Daniel's lawyer, Miss Scott, said that Jessica was the principal perpetrator in the case. Jessica, did you and you only cause the death of your son, Dylan Groves? Yes. Did Daniel Groves participate in the killing of Dylan? Dylan? No. When Jessica took the stand, she admitted to all charges against her. Her defense attorney asked her the dates of when she injured Dylan and when he died. She explains in this court, while crying and appearing saddened by what she did. In fact, she admitted to her crimes before the jury even had time to arrive at the courthouse. Jessica had also admitted to having used drugs during the time she was pregnant with Dylan, a fact that she somehow managed to hide from her husband. In fact, when Daniel was asked if he noticed Jessica was under the influence, he said no, which is an incredibly hard-to-believe statement, considering all of the red flags Jessica was giving off to anyone she was in contact with. Now, when the defense attorney had no further questions, the fierce prosecutor named Julie Hutchinson is signaled to question Jessica. Without wasting time, she jumped straight to the point. Even though Jessica admits to her crimes at the beginning of the trial, she starts to turn her story into a series of events that she doesn't remember. And then her tears turn to anger when the prosecutor presses her to answer how she killed her baby. Tell the jury how you killed this baby. It was an accident. Not your excuse. How did you murder this baby? How did you cause these injuries? I have sit here and admitted. Answer the question, please. How did you cause these injuries? It was an accident. Not your excuse for what happened. How did you cause these injuries? How did you cause those rib fractures? By dropping him. By dropping him. How did you cause those that first two-inch skull fracture. I don't remember. How did you cause that one-inch skull fracture? It had to be from dropping him. How did you cause that complete upper arm fracture? Nothing that I ever did was intentional. I'm not asking for your excuse. How did you cause that complete upper arm fracture? I have to live with this for the rest of my life. How did you cause that? You have devoured my family. Ms. Groves, you answer the questions that are asked of you. You understand? I've admitted to my guilt. How did you? And I have to live without my children. I'm done talking to you. You are talking to me because you're sitting on the witness stand. Tell them how you caused that injury. 
getting to the question. Ms. Rose? By testifying, you're subject to cross-examination. You have to answer the questions on cross-examination that are relevant to these proceedings. This question is a relevant question. You will answer the question at this time. Throughout the trial, Jessica can be seen holding her face and is unable to answer the question for quite some time. It's at this time that Jessica has to leave the stand, and the court is temporarily excused. When they return, Jessica still doesn't remember how she gave baby Dylan the fracture. Remember. You don't remember? No, I don't. You remember the day those, you said the injuries were caused on the 27th, and he died on the 28th, so you remember all that detail. But you don't remember how you caused that upper arm fracture? No, I don't. Tell the jury why you wrote on your calendar on April 24th, worst day ever when Daniel was taken, but there was no entry about the worst day ever when you killed that baby. I didn't kill my baby. It you was didn't? It an accident. How did you cause those injuries? I don't remember. Then how do you remember it was an accident? Because I would never hurt my children intentionally. Never. How did you cause those injuries? The foster mother, Andrea Bolling, testified in court. It's a very emotional, heart-wrenching moment for her as she sits on the stand, being that one and only voice for Dylan, that voice he didn't even have. The pressure to be sat in front of the court, reliving her time with this little baby boy, rethinking the last moments with him and knowing where he ended up, is so heartbreaking. She detailed the process of her time at the hospital, the moments of taking baby Dylan home with her, the awful tremors in his arms and legs and full body sweats. And when he wasn't sleeping, he preferred to be held and to have someone remain close to him. Andrea went over the first time she met with the biological parents. It was Wednesday, January 23rd, and it was for a scheduled visitation organized by Children's Services, a time specifically for the biological parents to spend time with baby Dylan for an hour alone. Although the short five minutes of meeting the parents, Andrea describes the demeanor of Jessica when she first arrives. What kind of behavior was um, Mrs. Groves exhibiting? Um, she was kind of flailing her arms around and she was really happy and excited and um, more, more giddy than happy. Um, okay. Now, is it fair to say that people are sometimes like that when they're happy? Mm -hmm. What made you think this was something not normal? Just under the circumstances, it was it was um, kind of unexpected behavior to walk into children's services with the baby, and um, and then to just see that you know she was. I just felt she was under the influence of something at that okay. time. 
Now, uh, what kind of demeanor did you see from uh, Mr. Groves? He was quiet. I didn't suspect anything as far as him being under the influence of anything. Okay. With regard to their demeanor... Throughout this time, Andrea had remained in constant contact with the Scioto County Children's Services, even seeming worried and asking if they would drug test the parents. Just like any foster care, the ultimate goal is to get the child reunited with their biological parents. But even Andrea expressed her opinion in court. At some point, um, were you advised that Dylan was going to be placed back with his parents? I assumed he would be eventually, not in 12 days, but eventually. Okay. When were you advised that he was going to be placed back? Was it at that meeting or shortly thereafter? No, it wasn't at that meeting. Um, I believe the meeting was on a Wednesday, and it was the, the, the Friday after that Wednesday. Um, I had actually called Children's Services to find out when our next visit was going to be, because normally you have a weekly visit. And I was just calling to find out when our next visit was going to be so that I could, you know, just have it on my schedule. Okay. And then they informed me that he was going to be reunited and to have him at the office that following Monday morning. Okay. Right. That Friday, the 25th, Andrea was told by Children's Services that baby Dylan was to be reunited with his father first thing Monday morning. It's mind-blowing to think how they would even see this living situation safe for a newborn. Packing up baby Dylan's things was hard for Andrea. As she described this moment in court, you can tell in her heart it wasn't right. Being a foster mom, she couldn't do much about it. She voiced her opinion to Children's Services, and she even gave the father a letter along with the baby's belongings that gave them a chance to reach out to her any time. She was just a phone call away. I was getting Dylan's belongings together. What, uh, what, what did you do with those belongings? Uh, I gave them to Daniel. Okay. And I gave him um, go ahead. some formula diapers, his blanket, his quilt from the hospital, some pictures. I gave him a Bible. Okay. Now, I'm going to hand you what have been marked as state's exhibits. Okay, what is this? It's actually a picture of a picture, but what is it? It's a picture of Dylan that I, that I took. Okay, is that one of the pictures you gave to? Yes. Okay. So State's Exhibit 23. You recognize that? Yes. What is it? Another picture. No it. Okay, is that a picture you took as well? Yeah. State's Exhibit 22, Your Honor. Jury's view. Did you provide Daniel with anything else besides the... Um, I gave him a letter to him and Jessica. Okay. And uh, did you provide your number or anything I of did. that? I did. I just basically in the letter said that 
how much I loved Dylan, cared about him, and that I just wanted to be, maybe, you know, if I could be involved or um, to have him maybe just let me know about some milestones that he reaches. Did you... Uh, did you offer to help if they were needing help? I did. Help? I said, if you ever need anything, just call me, and I gave him my phone number. Did they ever reach out to you after that? No. And then Daniel, the father, brought in a car seat prepared to take on the responsibility of this baby, and they were on their way. Now, Jessica and Daniel weren't the only two people charged for the death of baby Dylan. There were two former Scioto County Children's Services workers that were charged in connection with his death. Lisa Thomas was charged with four counts of endangering children, and the other worker, Renee Jin, was charged for three counts of endangering children. Renee was also charged for tampering with records and evidence. To make matters way worse, Dylan is not the only child to be failed by the Scioto County Children's Services along with these two employees. Annabelle Green was five years old when she was murdered by the very people that Children's Services thought was the best fit. But really, they weren't a good fit at all by their records, as she was found murdered and covered in injuries and bruises head to toe, alarming signs of physical abuse. Annabelle Green was in the care of her grandparents, Richard Green Sr. and stepmother Sonia Green, while her father was in rehab. Police stated that the couple had records of child abuse. Specifically, Sonia Green was previously charged with child endangerment. And as for the grandfather, Richard, he had a rather lengthy criminal history that included theft, weapon, and drug charges. In 1995, he was charged with neglect of a child and cruelty towards a child in 2000. And it took until July 2020 to even raise an eyebrow that these people were not a good fit when Annabelle was viciously murdered. Although they didn't go into detail, investigators looked further into Annabelle's case, and they also shared that the two were charged with rape as well in connection with Annabelle Green's case. In September of 2021, WSAZ News spoke to the current executive director of the Scioto County Children's Services, who said, quote, The employment of Renee Jin and Lisa Thomas by Scioto County Children's Services ended more than a year ago. Our agency remains committed to effectively serving children and families in our community, with the primary focus being child safety. We feel confident that all of our current staff members are dedicated to these values and responsibilities, end quote. The opioid crisis was brought to national attention because of Dylan's case. And as a result, the director of the Scioto County Children's Services, Laura Fuller, stepped down after the investigation showed that the agency had mishandled Dylan's case. The board placed her on administrative leave after a report was published criticizing her department's handling of the death of Dylan. 
As a result, there was a review report created by the Ohio Department of Jobs and Family Services, which was 27 pages in total. Four of those pages of the report focus on the death of Dylan. Since then, a brand new Scioto County Children's Services director named Jason Mantell is taking control. His goal is to double check all background screenings on the county's current foster placements. January 10th, 2020, which would have been Dylan's first birthday, a day that would normally be celebrated with gifts, cake, and ice cream, but he was taken away from that. On this day, it was the final day of the trial. The jury took less than three hours to reach a verdict. Jessica Groves has been sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, while Daniel Groves was convicted of murder, abuse of a corpse, and other charges, but was acquitted of aggravated murder. He faces 15 years to life in prison with the option of parole. Baby Dylan and Annabelle Green should still be here today. Because of the poor decisions made by individuals, terrible things that should have never happened, happened. How many other children will be reunited into the hands of abusers? How does our system fail children like this? It's something that should never happen. I am speaking for Dylan right now. I didn't get to have a voice. My life was cut too short. But my life will have a huge impact. My foster mom will make sure I help and save and protect other babies. Today is my first birthday. I didn't get to have my party, no cake, ice cream. I didn't get showered with gifts, but I did get justice today. And right now I'm sitting on Jesus' lap. The angels have me now. My chance to have an earthly life was taken way too soon. No chance to learn to ride a bike, to learn to fish or play baseball. No chance to run and play on the playground or to meet my friends and family. I was perfect. I could have been anything, a preacher, a doctor, a lawyer. But now my purpose is to help save others. I will watch my life protect babies on earth, and I will rejoice when laws are changed. I had a little footprint here on earth, but my impact was anything but small. My impact on this earth is huge, and I look forward to the day that my foster mommy holds me again. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. We will see you next week. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect.
On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.